This is part two of a message I began last week on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's uh, four sessions that we've decided to add on as an addendum to the series in Acts, all on the Holy Spirit. Why, why are we adding this addendum onto Acts? Because when we look at the way the church lived and experienced God <clears throat> there in the first century, and we look at the way we experience God and live, just, well, hey, Rory, <laughs> Jenny, can you see people you haven't seen in a while? It's good to see you. Uh, when, we, when, we, when we go and we look at that gap, we go, why is it they live that way and we live this way? I'm telling you, would, would you not say when you read Acts and, you, and then you look at us, you go, that looks pretty different to me. I think it does. We know from the Gospels and <clears throat> from the first, first part of Acts that those disciples at the end of the Gospels when Jesus had arisen, they were hidden behind locked doors hidden behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. Within, within just a few weeks, they are turning the world upside down. <clears throat> what happened? I'm, I'm being serious. You've got to think about that and go, what happened? How, how do they go from that to turning the world upside down? Well, the Scripture makes it abundantly clear that between... Where they were behind the doors and when they turned the world upside down, the difference was the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we are taking the time to think very biblically and specifically about these things. I went through the upper room discourse and you've got nine things, some on this side, some on this side, where we sat with Jesus as he had his last meal. This is the night in which he was betrayed. We know for a fact that what he had to say here on that night and in that context was of absolute importance. You know, dead, dot, you know, in the last breaths you take, you don't talk about trivial things. And so Jesus, in that context, is talking about the Holy Spirit. You'll note those nine things. I'm going to basically... We're going to take those nine and we're going to get very, very practical. Because if the Holy Spirit is essential and central to our faith, and it is, He is, why is it that most Christians are unaware of who He is, how He relates to us, what it means to be filled with the Spirit? And I'm going to ask you this. I, I would love to hear from some of you. Why do you think that, that we, let's just, we're just talking about ourselves, we're responsible for ourselves. Why do we as Fellowship Bible Church, why do so many of us not, you know, have, have fuzzy thinking around the person and work of the Holy Spirit? What would be some reasons? Just yell it out. <clears throat> we're not taught it. Okay, yeah. So maybe you've not been taught. What, what else could be a reason we have so much difficulty or fuzziness around the person and work of the Spirit. What would be other reasons? I can't hear you. He's unseen, yeah. But Jesus is unseen. Not putting you on the spot, whoever said that, but God is unseen. What else? Why? The unknown. unknown. (laughs) That's right. You know, fear of the unknown. Um, It's an interesting thought, is it not? And my hope is when we leave here in the next 35, 40 minutes, there will be some real tangible clarity around the person and work of the Spirit. In 1979, 
I had, I, I'd been a Christian for almost two years. And I will tell you, I knew I was saved. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. <clears throat> I knew that I had put my faith in Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, and he, he died on the cross for me, was buried and rose again. I knew that if I died, I would be in heaven with God forever. I knew that without a doubt. But I will tell you that for those two years of my Christian life, I lived more frustrated, <clears throat> defeated, guilty, confused than I did, honestly, with, with great joy. This is going to sound like blasphemy, but this is the truth. I was happier before I trusted Christ than after I trusted him. Now, some of you are going, that's impossible. I'm just telling you, I knew I was a Christian, but it's like I, I was actually a happier person before I trusted Christ, as strange as that sounds. And it was during this time that someone said something to me that set me on the path regarding the very things we are going to talk about today. And I'm standing in front of you today because this statement set me on this path. That is not an exaggeration. And what this guy said to me, he said, Lloyd, you cannot live the Christian life. That was a relief to me, quite frankly, because I knew it wasn't working. You know, that sounds weird to say. The Christian life's not working for me. And he said, Lloyd, you can't live the Christian life. <clears throat> and he began to explain to me, he said, there's only one person on the planet who ever lived the Christian life. Who was it? So I, I can't live the Christian, only Jesus can live the Christian life. And he began to explain to me, and, and he does live the Christian life in you and through you, and this is where we got to this, through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I am going to take what I just said, rewind it, and walk us through how we can know that. Uh, I'm going to talk about four things, so there's no specific text we're in. We're going to move around to a few, <clears throat> but I'm going to talk about a condition, a contrast, a command, and then a choice. Okay, so again, I'm going to put my notes on this on, on the website. I'll, I'll, I'll amend them, but get them there for you. A condition, a contrast, a command, and a choice. Let's start with a condition. Everything I'm going to talk about here in the next few moments is around a condition. Then I'll tell you when I've moved on. Go in your Bibles to the Upper Room Discourse, where we were, John chapter 15. <clears throat> John chapter 15. Jesus is telling these men that he is leaving. Jesus is telling these men that the Spirit is coming. I mean, we've got nine things he said about the Holy Spirit. And right smack dab in the middle of all this Holy Spirit talk, he says what my friend said to me. I want you to see it. John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus is speaking and he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now let me ask you, what can 
a Christian do apart from Jesus? Say it out loud. Yeah, I think we say that, but, you know, I'm going to talk about myself. I say that, but I don't know that I always live that. But there's no wiggle room on that. He says, you can do nothing apart from me. Abide means to stay, to remain. We get that. Tear a branch off a tree, looks good for a day, it'll be dead the next day because you've removed it from the life source. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Now, I want you to notice in this text, we often skip by this, he says, he who abides in me and I in him. So you got to stop there. you got to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I abide in Jesus. But wait, Jesus has to abide in me. Now, this is what's so confusing to the disciples. Jesus keeps telling them, I'm leaving. <clears throat> it's like that's all they can hear now. And then so when he says this, and I'm going to abide in you, it's like they don't hear that. It's too, that you're leaving. I mean, how can you leave and yet abide in us? See, they, they, they were confused about that, and we need to cut through that confusion ourselves. He's going to abide in them and in the Christian, in the person of who? Say it. See, let's, I'm just going to keep going this way. I know it's redundant, but I want you to stay with me because it's that important in the person of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, this is where we can get confused, or at least I know over my life I can get confused on this. The Spirit is not the Son. So wait, wait, wait. The Spirit is not the Son, so how is it Jesus can be in us in the person of the Holy Spirit? They're not the same in role or function, but they are the same in essence. Such that Paul, when he speaks of the Spirit and Christ, Paul himself will say, the Spirit of Christ. He's not talking about another spirit anywhere, people. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. They are of one essence such that Paul can say, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. <clears throat> Therefore, in Galatians 2.20, Paul will make this amazing statement. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And you know, you can scratch your head and say, wait a minute. Does the Spirit live in you or does Christ? Yes. You see, yes. You don't, don't, don't trip on that. Of one essence such that without blending or removing the distinction in role and, role and personhood, Paul is clear to say, and we'll read it in a few moments, the Holy Spirit, in a very real sense, is Jesus in us, without confusing their roles and responsibilities. I mentioned last week, when Jesus came to save us, he took on a body, people. Jesus is spirit, he's God, but he took on a body, and he will never, for all eternity, not have that body. You think the human body doesn't matter? You think your body's not a value? Jesus took on a, a body forever. He loves us. He, want, he had to, and he did. Now, his body is glorified now, and this is, again, doing theology, theology appropriately and correctly. If I, if, if I said, where is Jesus right now? The answer is, <clears throat> he is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
in a glorified body. See, in one sense, Jesus is not on earth. No, he's in his glorified body at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus says, when I sit at the right hand of the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will be with you and in you. And the Holy Spirit being God himself, being of one essence with Jesus, the Bible will say, the Spirit who lives in you and me is Jesus in us. Is everybody tracking with me so far? And therefore, every Christian, every Christian has Jesus living in them. But it's in the person of the Holy Spirit. A glorified body can only be in one place at one time. He's not going to. He has a glorified body. I mean, he walked through the walls, but but he can't be in more places than one. No wonder he said, "It is to your advantage that I go, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go, I'll send the Spirit to you." And men and women, do you understand what that means? That means if Jesus didn't go and he was on earth right now in his glorified body, I don't know where he'd be, you know, but he could only be in one place. But because he went, you get this, he now, by the Spirit, the fullness of Jesus, his presence, his power, Jesus, is in every Christian. I mean, that just blows my mind. I I can't even grasp it fully. But we must grasp it in order to live the Christian life. Everyone with me so far? You know, when we going through that, I want you to hear this. When Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me, stay in me. He's saying the same thing as be filled with the Spirit. See, this is again where we get confused. Wait, is it abide in Christ or filled with... Which one do I... To be filled with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, is to abide in Jesus. That's the same, okay? Now, here's, here, I'm back, I'm still under condition. <laughs> this is a long way to it. Until you know <clears throat> that you cannot live the Christian life, that you are incapable inadequate, unable, powerless, you will not fully depend on the Spirit. That's why I'm camping here. That's why I'm talking about this condition. Until you and I, truly, it goes beyond just our, you know, like I I said, what can we do apart from Christ? It's easy to say nothing. And this afternoon, do something apart from, we just do, that's our flesh. And until you and I, it goes beyond our head, and we know. I mean, I, I can't. I am powerless to do what the Bible tells me to do. This is me as a young Christian. I'm just so frustrated because I know what I should do, and I can't. It's like Paul, you know, and I'm doing the wrong thing. and I can't live. The, I can't do. I, fill in the blank. I can't love my wife as Christ loved the church. I can't do the right thing. I cannot stop lustful thoughts. I cannot tell the truth all the time. I cannot stop putting up this front and keeping people away. I cannot do it. God, you said be holy because you're... I can't be holy. 
I can't trust you. I can't. This is the condition of the person who's, who's filled with the Spirit. How about that? You know, if I said inability, powerlessness, inadequacy, and I said, said they're yours, you and I spend our whole life trying not to have those. We would say, no, thank you. We spend our whole life, and yet the Bible says that inadequacy, this is going to make sense when we read our whole, weakness, powerlessness. Those are the gifts of grace God gives us so that we will depend on him. See, this is, turns the world upside down. This is why people say, I think you're crazy, you know. This, because it's so foreign to our flesh, that principle of life, we're going to do it on our own. <clears throat> this condition of a person filled with the Spirit, I'm going to give it one word, inadequacy. We can pick a bunch of them, but I'm just going to say inadequacy. Inadequacy. That's the condition. No wonder Jesus, when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, let me ask you a question. Is, is there anything more urgent on the planet? Is there anything more at stake? Is there the possibility of any greater loss than people not coming to faith in Christ and spending an eternity apart from him? I don't think there's anything more urgent on the planet. So Jesus commanded the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and, go and lead people to faith. That go, go help people come to know me. He said that. And then what he said next is, well, just dumbfound us. Wait. Don't start yet. What? I mean, we got to do it now. And he said, wait. How about that? Y'all, it wasn't wait a few hours. It was, it was several weeks. He said, wait in Jerusalem. Why? You have to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because you can't do it. You, you, if you guys started trying to do this now... You'd be like Lloyd is 2,000 years from now, you know, trying to live a Christian life apart from No, you got to wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now we got to answer this question. When does the Holy Spirit take up residence in us? we got to answer that question. When? Now, I'm going to cut through this quickly. I want you to know I've, I've invited you guys to ask questions. I'll try and address them. But I'm going to tell you what we believe the Bible teaches. And there's three very important doctrines around the Spirit that I'm just simply going to reference. I'm going to put them on the screen so you can see them. Because we're asking the question, well, when does the Holy Spirit come in a person? What does that look like? Three doctrinal truths. Number one, the indwelling of the Spirit. What does the Bible call the indwelling of the Spirit? That is to have the Spirit. The Spirit lives in us. Uh, when, when does that happen? The moment you believe. Paul says in Romans 8, 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Wait a minute, are we talking about the Holy Spirit? He calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God. He gets better. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, is it the Holy Spirit, is it the Spirit of God, or is it the Spirit of Christ? At one level, in terms of essence, it's all. Which is why I say to you, God, don't, don't freak out on me when I say this, God lives in you. 
That's what he said. Christ lives in you. The risen Christ lives in you. In the person of the Holy Spirit. He says, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Men and women, when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you, every Christian. If you do not have the Spirit, you are not a Christian. Secondly, baptism. This is where we would diverge with with some. And I want you to know, I am open to whatever the Spirit does and how He does what He wants to do. But I would differ with others, and you'll know on this more of a Pentecostal or charismatic background, what is the baptism of the Spirit? Think about baptism. Baptism is about identification. When we put people in that water, they're identifying with the death of Christ and His resurrection. The Bible says that we are baptized into Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. What does that mean? It means and when we believed, we were by the Holy Spirit placed into the body of Christ, called this, the universal church. And Christ is placed into us. We're identified with Him. It happens at the moment you believe and the third thing would be the sealing of the Spirit. This is this, the Spirit is God's pledge to you and me that we are His. This is such a weak illustration or analogy, but it's like the earnest money you give the seller when you're buying that house. Look, here's, here's 2000 just to let you know. We want the house. We'll be back for the house. This goes way beyond that, but the Spirit indwells us, baptizes us into the body, will never be removed, never be re- The Spirit is in us permanently, and it's God saying, you're mine. You're mine, and no matter what you go through on this planet, no matter how bad it gets, I will bring you home. For my spirit is my pledge within you. When do the indwelling, baptism, and sealing of the spirit occur? At the moment of salvation. At the moment you believe these things are true. Okay, the condition was inadequacy. We need to lay that foundation on those three doctrines of the Spirit that happen right when you believe. I want to go to the contrast in the command, probably one of the more important verses around the Spirit. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. As you're turning there, I just want you to listen. Listen to how the Spirit's work in Acts is described. Acts 2, 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Acts 4, 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 431, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 755, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. 139, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. What in the world does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And how is a person filled with the Spirit? Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Y'all, this is the only time in the whole Bible we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Which, the more I think about it, I think I understand why, but a part of me goes, gosh, if this Spirit is so important, if the Spirit's so important in our lives, surely somewhere in the Bible it would say, do this, do this, do this, to be filled with the Spirit, but, but we actually don't get that. This is the only place it's commanded. There's a contrast, okay? Look at the contrast verse. It's not between wine and spirit. It's, it's the issue of control. It's the issue of control. That's the contrast. If, 
you know, and this is one where we don't have to go get our, you know, travel back in ancient history because I can, we live like this now, we can. If you drink too much wine, if you drink too much alcohol, you are under the influence of the alcohol. Your mind, your affections, your desires, your choices, they're all controlled by the alcohol. See, the alcohol is controlling you, right? Or if you're filled with the spirit, then the, the spirit is informing your mind, your affections, your desires, and your choices. See, that's the contrast. Who is in control? That is the contrast. Now, let me show you the command, and it's, it's important. Some of the grammar in this is, is what is so important. So let me say it this way. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. It's in the imperative mood. Imperative is a command. That's all. So it's a big word, you know, we use that says, this is a command. It's not... Some of you may think about it. No, this is a command, be filled with the Spirit. It's in the plural form. It's not just to one person, it's to the church. And certainly applicable to each individual in the church, be filled with the Spirit. It's not just for special people. All of us be filled with the Spirit. It is in the passive voice. That means it is something God does for us. We we can't do it. It's something done to us, for us. That's called a passive voice. It's in the present tense, which simply means this. It's not one and done. It's something that's done over and over and over. I'd paraphrase it like this. He's saying, keep on being filled with the Spirit over and over and over and over. The indwelling of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, the sealing of the Spirit, that's one time done. The effects are forever. The filling of the Spirit is something that it, you're filled, you know, you could not. You're filled, you're not. It happens over and over and over, which is why when we read the book of Acts, we keep reading these phrases, and Stephen was full, filled with the Holy Spirit said, and then they're just kind of tracking along, doing this, doing that. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that? It happens over and over and over. The condition is inadequacy. The contrast is control. The command is keep on being under the control of the Spirit. I'm going to move to choice. I'm now finishing out in choice, the choices we make. Here's the question. How does a person keep on being filled with the Spirit? How? First, I want to acknowledge the mystery. I might say some things here in a few moments that some of you go, I don't know, and please ask me the question, but I'm going to tell you there's some things I don't understand, and you don't, and we won't around the Spirit. So let's recognize there's certainly mystery here. You know, Jesus called being filled with the Spirit, abide in me. Paul called being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. But he also called us to live by the Spirit. But he also called us to walk by the Spirit. But he also said, keep in step with the Spirit. Come on, just give me one thing. Which is it? Well, no, it's all of these. These, these are all, it's filled with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. It's all these. Secondly, there's no magic formula. I said this. Y'all, I, I've tried so hard this week to, to not get this formulaic because there's no formula. And, and even now, I'm giving you some principles that, we, we, that guide us in what this means, but I'm trying to stay away from if you'll do this and do this and do this, you'll be filled with the Spirit because that's not there. But we're not left without instruction. See, that's where we synthesize what the Bible teaches and go, well, here's some, here's some truths around being filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm, I, when I recognize these truths, I recognize how a person is filled. Start here. The command is in the passive tense. It is something God does for us. 
And it's fair to ask this question. How do we do something that can only be done for us? See kind of the quirkiness of that? How do we do something when the Bible says what's something that's done for you? It's like, it's like if you guys looked at me and said, Lloyd, throw yourself a surprise party. Well, no, I mean, if it's going to be a surprise party, then you've got to do it for me. So you get, you, we get confused. It's not as confusing as, as we kind of think it is. So here's where I want to cut through the fog and get very clear on you. Before you came to Christ, was there anything you could do to make yourself right with God? Was there anything you could do to satisfy the holy justice of God against your sin? Was there anything you could do to pay the penalty for your sin such that you are forgiven? Don't hesitate on that one. Was there anything you could do? There's not, y'all. And yet, you're sitting here today, and I'm looking at you, and you're going, but I am forgiven. Uh, Christ has forgiven me. My sins have been forgiven. And I'm going, wait a minute. If, if there's nothing you could do, how can, how can you have something that there was nothing you could do to get it? It had to be done for you. So, what did you do in order to be saved? What did you have to have? What did you do? Now, people up front always answer me. So, well, someone in the back, what, do you, what did you do to be saved? Faith. You had faith. You believed. And therefore, now you possess something that you could do nothing to get. But it is now yours. How? Say it out loud. How is it yours? Y'all are weak today. How is your salvation yours? By grace and faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace we're saved through faith, belief. You see that? So now I go, well, well, there is a way to, if something's done for me by God, there is something I can do, so to speak, in order for God to do that to me. And do that on my behalf. So, how are we filled with the Spirit? By, what's the next word? Faith. And some of you are looking up here going, we've just spent two weeks... Going through all this, so you could stand up there and tell us we're filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. Yes. Because had I walked this aisle and had I grabbed just a random people and I said, I want you to tell me how we're filled with the Spirit, I believe this. And I'm, I'm, I would be this way. I think I would get 800 answers. I don't think, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there would have been many of us if I put the mic there and I said, I want you to tell me how we're filled with the Spirit. I don't know that anyone would have said, with conviction, by faith. By faith. And I'm going to tell you, we're filled with the Spirit by faith. You're not filled with the Spirit because you do something. You're not filled with the Spirit because... It's not, you're not even filled with the Spirit because you confess all your sins. Now you're clean. The Spirit. I used to kind of think that, but isn't that ridiculous to think? Because who in the room, even when you go on that retreat and write all your sins, are you telling me you've got them all? 
You never have them all confessed. I don't have them all confessed right now. We, you know what I'm saying? You don't do that to be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you know some sins, certainly confess it. We're filled with the Spirit by faith. I hope that just resonates in your soul and you never forget it. It's that simple. It's that clear. By faith. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. In the same way that the faith that saves us is not simply a mental assent, I believe. And it's just mental assent. It's like, I, you know, yeah, I know that's a fact, right? Because the Bible says that the, the demons believe that. That's just mental assent. So what kind of faith? There's different ways to break this out. I'm just going to give us two for simplicity, and I think we're on solid ground. What are the marks of faith by which we're filled with the Spirit? There's got to be, what kind of faith is it, Lloyd? Well, let me give you two marks of that faith. The first is this. Biblical faith is keenly aware and accepting of inadequacy. Biblical faith is marked by the person who knows they are powerless and incapable. Biblical faith is the person who knows they can't. Biblical faith is, is the person who knows they can't I, can't. I can't love my wife like Christ loved the church. I can't stop the thoughts. I can't forget. I can't be holy. I can't, Lord, I can't. That's, that's an ingredient in biblical faith, our inadequacy. Let me give you one word for this characteristic. Dependent. Dependent. I said earlier, until you're dependent, you won't depend on the Spirit fully. You may depend on the Spirit, you know, with a little bit of your weight, but you won't put the full weight on Him because you, you, you think, I can do some of it too. There's a second mark of biblical faith that fills, that by which we are filled with the Spirit, and that is biblical faith is always made visible. Biblical faith is always made visible. It begins in the mind because we must know the mind matters. The intellect, I know something, it's true. But you see, biblical faith moves into the affections and the desires and then the choices that we make. Biblical faith always blurts itself out. You know, it comes out of us in either in our words or our actions. James calls faith, biblical faith, faith that works. That's biblical faith. It's not, if it's not demonstrated, made visible by your choice or an action, I'm telling you, it's not biblical faith. And the word I'm going to give you on this is active. So biblical faith is both dependent and it's active. So we are, f- so, so we are filled with the Spirit by a faith that is fully dependent and visibly active. That's biblical faith. Now, I spent all week changing and tweaking this sentence, and so I'm going to read it a couple of times. And again, it'll be online. Because I'm trying to say something that's really hard to say. The person who is filled with the Spirit trusts the Spirit to do what they cannot do as they do it by faith. The person who is filled with the Spirit trusts the Spirit to do what they cannot do as they do it by faith. I, I cannot come up, I, I've tried to think of illustrations. 
I can't. This is the best I can do, and I hope it's helpful. It's a little bit awkward, but I, I'm, I'm going to say it. <clears throat> I am trying right now to teach you a biblical truth so profound and foundational to the Christian life. And yet I know this. If I was just sitting one-on-one with you, I'm unable for you to get it. I, I, I'm explaining it the best I can, but I am incapable of teaching you all about the person and the work of the Spirit in such a way that you get it and it, it changes your life. And so all week, you know, as, as a teacher, I'm, I, I take the gifts God has given me and I study. And, and when I'm studying, I, I, I truly say this. I say, Holy Spirit, I... There's no way I could, I need you to show me what to teach. Give me the words, the sentences, the framework. So I'm, I'm studying, if I can say this, recognizing my inadequacy, and I'm depending on the Spirit. And then I, I have a message, and you're hearing it right now. And even as I'm teaching right now, I know that my words are noise unless the Holy Spirit makes it alive in you and opens the, the, the eyes of your heart and the eyes of your mind. And so, hear me when I say this, when you look at me right now, you are looking at a man, I, I believe, filled with a spirit. And you say, well, you're not speaking in tongues, and I'm not saying that as a jibe, I'm saying, because sometimes you think it's these other things, and I'll, I'll address some of that. You're not doing a miracle. No, I'm not. I'm, I'll tell you what I am. As, as, as best I can be. I'm dependent upon the Spirit. And by golly, it's my job to teach you and I'm doing it. And I'm doing it, I trust in the power of the Spirit. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you. This is, I'm trying to make this so applicable. I believe, I'm just going to trust by faith that the Spirit is filling me right now as I'm talking to you. That's, that's what it means to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Now, when I'm interacting with Lisa, say, this afternoon, and we get into an argument, I've got a choice. It, it, this is what it's about. I can, you know, crush her or shame her or hold on to my argument, or I can stop and go, I cannot love this woman right now like Christ loved it. I can't do it. But, Spirit, you can. And I'm going to trust you to. And whatever comes out of my mouth next, you know, I'm going to trust that's it. Or maybe I need to walk out of the room. I don't know, but that's filled with the Spirit. Or you and you're weak. You're going to work and you're thinking about an appointment you have or a meeting and you're going, this is going to be terrible. I, I can't say that to them. And, and, you, and you know what? I just, you, you go, I can't. I cannot do it. I'm going to trust God by your Spirit who lives in me that He can. But you don't stop there. You go to the meeting and you say what you sense the Spirit said to do, and you just do it, and you know what the, I was going to say, what the heck, you know, that's good, what the heck, you know, um, you know, you just do it, and, and if it goes, if it goes bad, good, whatever, you just do it and go, I trust I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and the, the, the impetus of the Spirit is that we would tell others about Christ, and I know it, I'm this way, you know, it's awkward for me to talk to someone, sometimes, you know, you sense the Spirit saying, you need to talk to this person about Christ, and you're thinking, they're going to think I'm an idiot, and you go, yeah, and you go, I'm just so scared to do this. Exactly. I can't do this. Well, you can't. And so you choose. See the choice, choice, choice. You choose in the moment. I can't do it. God, you can. The Holy Spirit can. Clearly the book of Acts says the Holy Spirit can. And you 
do it. You know, you trust the, the Holy Spirit to do it and you trust, you believe that the Holy Spirit is filling you and you do it. You know, this is, I mean, this is an adventure, I'm telling you. When you start living in the fullness of the Spirit, and by the way, you know, you're not filled with the Spirit 24-7. I think it'd kill us. I don't know. You know, you, you, you really aren't. I mean, you're not when you're sleeping. I don't know. You're not brushing your teeth in the power of the Spirit. I don't know. You're, but when you know the Spirit's leading you and you depend on the Spirit, I'm telling you, you will be doing things that, that blow your mind. And it's, it's the adventure of a lifetime. It's it's, Acts, it's the book of Acts. It's no different today. What would it look like if we were a church that understood, believed, and lived in the fullness of the Spirit, and we were filled with the Spirit continually? What in the world would it look like? We don't even have to guess what it would look like. We, not for ourselves or our glory, but we, would turn the world upside down. Because that's what the Spirit does. That's what the Spirit does. If I were to die this afternoon, which is, I shouldn't have even said that because I'm actually driving to Knoxville. Now Lisa would be thinking about that the whole time. But I think, I think the person and the work of the Spirit would be the message I'd want to give you. Because there's no Christian life apart from him. And yet we're so afraid of him in some ways. I'll, I'll address some of this later, but we, 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 don't even, we don't even want, you know, we said earlier, well, we don't know. We don't even want to know because it scares us. There is no Christian life apart from the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Depend on him. And then just, just do it. Believing that he fills you. Let's stand. Let me pray over you and send you out. I've kept you longer than I should have. Father, uh, there is nothing we can do to grasp this. Not even, it can't be taught or, it, I mean, we can't do it apart from your spirit. And so open our eyes to see the truth of your spirit in us. And Lord Jesus, when you told the disciples to wait, we know why now but now we don't have to wait anymore. We don't have to wait till next week or a year from now. Filled with the Spirit, we, we can be filled with the Spirit right now. May we be a people who are so aware and accepting of our inadequacies that your power would move and change us and change our world. In Christ's name. Amen.